But everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. Um, I am Dave. This crazy guy up here is Vlad. We have made it to episode 57, a very special episode. We're continuing down the machine modernization uh, retrofit conversation. So we have our special guest, Caleb Travis here. Uh, welcome to the show, Caleb. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. No, thanks for having me. My wife actually said, she said, you know, I, I can't believe they're going to let you on a live feed. She said, that's, that's, a, that's a bad gamble right there. <laughs> but, no, thank you so much for joining us, Caleb. Really appreciate it. Could you give us maybe a little bit of your background? How did you get into automation? What have you been doing in automation? And again, I'm always excited to learn maybe how did you get started? You know, that maybe transition from a different background, your learning path. Uh, how did you get started? Yeah, yeah. So I'll try to keep it short and sweet, but I, um, I'll be brutally honest. You know, we're not going to lie on here, but uh, I actually kind of happened into automation. So, I, you know, I've been working with my dad since I was like 12 up until the time I was 17. I turned 18 in typical Texas fashion. I got on a drilling rig, rode that out for a little bit, you know, and eventually it was going down and all that stuff. And so I ended up in Panola College where I'm from in Carthage. And uh, I went there for two years, worked full time with my dad. Here's where the truth comes. You know, my, my grades were actually pretty in the trash because I was working so much and going to school at the same time. You know, it was a struggle. Um, and I was going for petroleum technology and there was a professor there and he said, hey, have you heard of an electrical and instrumentation? And I said, no, I don't know nothing about it. He said, well, it's a, you know, it's like a four course difference. You should try it out. And so I did. And um uh, Actually, my, my passion for PLCs, like my introduction was a basics class where we just did like a simple pump circuit and almost everybody in the class failed it. And so I, and I barely passed and I was like, OK, there's got to be something good with this. Right. If we're all screwing this up, if I can nail this, I got something going. And so we came back and took what was the advanced uh, and it really wasn't advanced. It was just getting into the data types and some of the different structures and whatnot. And uh I came back and made a 92. And after that point, I was hooked. You know, I knew I wanted to do something along those lines. And so um, I had an internship at a polypropylene plant here in East Texas um, that was offered to me. Um, and we got all to the point of viewing the plant. I was really excited, you know, knew they paid well. It's a great company. And then my uh, my GPA sunk me on the internship. And so at that point, you know, I thought that was the end. And he said, well, it's not over yet, you know. We want, to in, we want to interview for an instrument tech position and they'll take you in, you know, knowing you're, you're brand new to the field, don't know nothing. And, uh, and one of the questions I had for him was, you know, will I ever be able to touch a PLC? Will I ever control anything? And he said, no, man, unfortunately, you, you know, you have, a, have to have a master's to do that. And uh, I'd had another company in Dallas at the time that was telling me to come be a tech for them, but they wanted someone to come in with the programmer, learn what he was doing so that when he was gone, he could help them out. And so um, I talked to my uncle at the time. He had been working with Shell for many years. And I asked him, I said, man, I got both these job offers. One's at home, one's off. You know, me and my wife were just about to get married. We were just kids at the time. And uh, he said, you know, anybody can be an instrument tech, but it takes something special to write it from scratch and really make it happen. And then, you know, from that day forward, that, that stuck with me. And that's really what turned all this on. So um, I went to Dallas for about a year in a chemical manufacturing plant. We made all the downhole chemicals for Halliburton Slumberjay, and we actually made cricket food and the salt for SeaWorld. So that was kind of cool. Um, and it sucks because if I knew what I knew now and I was there, 
oh dude it would have been it would have been killer you know and i'd really be doing some cool stuff right now but i was new and so uh, I did my time there, uh, but it kind of felt like I got to that point where it's like, okay, I knew some basic PLC stuff, but that was really the max I was ever going to get. Mm -hmm. And so we went to Midland. Uh, my wife and I, we moved out of our first apartment and bought a 27 foot travel trailer with no pop outs and had never lived in West Texas. So we moved that oh. sucker out about six months into our marriage. And <laughs> needless to say, uh, you know, after that, our marriage will never break. Okay. That's, that's all there is. And so um, we did that for a while and how that worked. I worked for a company out there that did production facility installs. Um, and I was a lot of people don't even know this. I was more on the heavy electrical, so, you know, like medium voltage stuff. We mm -hmm. pull them in from the transformers to the filters, to the drives, to the step up transformers, pull the Rita cable. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's, it's this massive cable that you pull off of a spool and hook it to a junction box and it basically powers your downhole pump. But we did all that, all the facility wire and motoring. Um, and then uh, they knew that I had done some basic PLC work in Dallas. And so I started going with the commissioning guy out there and loved it, was learning a lot, working for some, some big oil and gas names at the time and didn't even realize like what kind of facilities I was in. You know, these were massive facilities, lots of nodes, thousands of tags, uh, but the deal was it was all template based, right? So the customers had their own engineers. They just made us a config and we just made the config site specific. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, that just ate me up and ate me up and ate me up. And we never did live work really. We'd commission a facility, but I had never done live work before. And, you know, being the little ADHD firecracker I am, I was like, man, I got to do more. And so, uh, <laughs> Um, I actually interviewed for a job. A company had reached out to me and he asked me, you know, he said, I see you got PLC experience. You know, you're, you're obviously somewhat of a programmer, a new programmer. I said, yeah, I can program some PLCs, you know, from my, my very basic experience I had. And I thought I had just struck gold. So I took, I came on with this company and they were doing live installs. And I remember the first commissioning I ever did, I got into the PLC. It was an S7 1200. I had never been on portal never knew the monster of WinCC um, and thought because I could do some basic pump controls and some live troubleshooting that I was a programmer. And I'll never I, forget, I, I, saw, I saw my first state machine and it was polling 50 Modbus masters in <laughs> and that's what they were having trouble with was their Modbus. And I remember thinking, holy crap, yep. you know, what have I got myself into? And uh, really, man, I hate to admit it, but that's really how all this kicked off just like that. And then, you know, from there forward, I did dozens upon dozens upon dozens of facilities. I started out trying to edit the other programmers' uh, logic. Uh, part of my problem is the programmer whose programs I was trying to edit is a genius. Uh, shout out Matt Pollison from AWC. I've mentioned him before. And that just wasn't working very well because he had so much going on in the background that I didn't even know what it was. And so that kind of forced my hand. It was like, okay, I don't want to give this up. But I'm, 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 I've given too much to do it. So I started my boss, man. Uh, he literally took the biggest chance ever on me, said, I want you to start writing them from scratch and, you know, we'll do with whatever comes with it. So I started writing these Tia Portal programs from scratch. Didn't know what UDTs were. Didn't know, you know, what libraries were. So I'm figuring all this out on the on the fly. Um, and then also self-learned Tia Portal like do you, do he didn't even send you to some kind of a structured 
I guess a curriculum college. Interesting. Okay. I, no, Fair dude, enough. there would be, there would be times I'd be up to like two o'clock in the morning, uh, trying to figure out the navigation of the dadgum software and, and doing it on my own time because like, I just could not accept that I couldn't get it done. I mean, it, it just, it really consumed me at one point in my life. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to let these boundaries of, I don't have the right degree for it. All this and that hold me back. I, you know, he gave me the chance and I wanted to make the most of it. And remember, I hadn't done life sites up until this point. So right. I was frying things in the panel left and right. You know, trouble. I mean, that's how I learned my electrical. I knew how to install and make it pretty and, and go by the code and all that. Um, but now I was doing it live and, you know, God bless his soul. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I really did. I screwed so much stuff up for the, for two and a half years that, I mean, it's a miracle. I haven't kept my job, but he just, he just, I guess he could see that it was gonna, that I wouldn't give up. You know, he knew I wasn't ever going to give up. And every time I screwed it up, I, I screwed it up once and then got it the next time. Um, and you know, while I'm doing all this, we were doing some crazy stuff too, like pulling level sticks, you know, South Texas is real bad about paraffin. So most of my call outs, I'm going to pull these level sticks, get covered in the dadgum paraffin. It's all over the back of your neck. You know, we're working 12 to 17 hour days and I'm trying to squeeze this programming in the mix of all this. So, dude, it was just chaotic. Um, that's actually how I found out about your YouTube channel. Funny story. Uh, years ago in South Texas, what I would do is all my sites were two and a half hours. You know, one and a half hours was the closest location I had when I lived there. So we'd drive anywhere from one and a half hours to three hours out. I'd get on YouTube and I would just listen and listen and listen and listen. And, uh, dude, that's just, I told you I was going to tell the truth. So here it is. You know, TNT is just field fire and YouTube. I mean, seriously, you know, <laughs> it's just the truth. I, I never got past my associates and my GPA was in the trash. Every bit I've done has just been from learning it in the field, you know, and, and Ultimately, Caleb, at that, that time, you already had TNT, or was that like a transition after that job? How did how did that get started, or came to be? Yeah, so th this went on for a long time, right? I just I knew I at that point I just kept trying to be a better technician. I started doing more complex things, and then uh, kind of got to the point where it's like, you know, I knew some people that had some work that needed to be done, and I was like, man, I can do this. You know, I I know how to do. It, it was all low voltage stuff. I mean, nothing crazy, and I just asked him to take a chance on me. So I set my DBA up, got all my stuff in place, uh, had tons of learning curves there, right? Getting all that set up. And then somebody took a chance on me. I did a job for them and it, it panned out pretty decent. Um, and then my goal was to pick up side work and, um, you know, start really trying to aggressively pick up side work. But you got to realize this is fast forwarded several years from all this, right? So mm -hmm. at this point in time, the oil and gas had taken a pretty bad turn. I mean, things were looking ugly for everybody. And, uh, man, my boss, this guy that I, I still work for him to this day, I program for them. Uh, he told me, he said, man, I, I don't want to lose you. You know, uh, at this point I had become there. I did everything for him. You know, I knew everything they had like the back of my hands. He said, but I also don't want to see you suffer. He said, you know, uh, you've come a long way. You put a lot of hard work into this. If you can find somebody that's got a stable job, you need to take it because I can't promise you tomorrow. And, and what I will tell you is that if you take it, keep doing our programs for us on the side, I'll give you all the work I got. And so I ended up stepping out and going to the plant environment. Uh, I worked there for a while, you know, in a crowd facility. 
did a bunch of work there, you know, about for a year, year and a half. And then uh, loved that place. There was nothing wrong with it. I mean, I, it was doing good, but two things happened. Um, one, Josh Varghese, the wonderful guy from Trace Route, dropped a bombshell of an opportunity on my lap one day. And I'd been praying for it. You know, I'd been aggressively trying to figure out how I was going to do TNT because I got a taste of it and I knew I wasn't going to let it go. I mean, I'd, I'd keep myself up at night thinking about it. And uh, my wife and I, we've always been real good finance, you know, with money. We, we, we stack up. Um, and it, we had, so we had already had a, a little nest egg put back. And it just so happened um, – a lot of people don't know this either. I had an almost nine second race car at the time. It was oh, a Hellcat wow. killing machine. Oh yeah. We'd race, we'd race people all the time. And, um, the guy I bought it from offered me seven more grand than we had bought it from him from. So I, cause I had done some work to it a little bit. And, uh, literally the day he made me that offer, I think Josh called me three days later and told me the bombshell. And, uh, I was, I just knew, I said, yeah, I'll sell you the car. So I sold him the car. We took the money from the car and the money we had saved up. Um, and I didn't have an investor. I didn't have business credit or anything. So I, I couldn't hit the bank, but I knew that we could make it as long as we could survive the tremendous amount of gap between when my first invoices would roll, start rolling mm -hmm. in. Um, and at that time, you know, my wife, we had one kid. My wife was pregnant with our second kid. We lived in Lubbock. And all of our family lives here in East Texas where we're at currently. So we had always lived seven hours away from family. Mm -hmm. And so I put my two weeks in, put our house on the market, mm -hmm. uh, tried to line everything up. And literally, did we started packing everything up. I packed everything up and left for Cincinnati two and a half weeks later. And my, my pregnant wife, dude, she is a, a, a beast. Uh, she and some people from my church loaded up the U-Haul and she moved all of our stuff back to East Texas while I was driving up to Cincinnati uh, for company X. I can't say company yeah. X because I'm going to be doing some more work for company X here in the future. But um, yep. yeah, you know, but um, so that's, that's uh, kind of to jump in there, Caleb, I remember seeing you post on that on LinkedIn. And yes, uh, I think I thought two things, one, you know, Caleb and his wife are exceptional. Like th this is the commitment. Like this is the level of commitment. One and two, it, it's a little crazy that you move and packing up the house and your, your wife is moving and you are driving to site. And I think you spent a number of months on site, but I, I think that that is, that is, you know, some fantastic commitment. And most people that I see who are committed to a level that you're committed to find success. Maybe it's not the first thing immediately, but, but eventually people who are willing to commit to the level of that absolutely find success. And, uh, it's, it's been amazing, uh, following your story so far. I, I, as we tell many of our guests hope that this is the first of many conversations that we get. And at some point later this year or next year, we get to sit down and kind of document, uh, continue the journey. So we had Preston on last week, and the first time we had Preston on for episode five or six, it was himself and he was just building the facility and he just hired his third or fourth person um, now. And so I, it, it's, it's a, a great journey that we get to help uh, kind of document some people. And I'm excited to, uh, to continue following along what you do personally and, and with the show. But so Preston had, had, a, good, had a good question for you. Um, he okay. said... He said, what's been your greatest achievement to date? And what was the best takeaway from that? I, I imagine as part of, you know, kind of growing and building what TNT has become. 
Yeah, uh, this is going to be a little off the business subject, but it translates. Yeah. You'll kind of see where I'm going. But man, to be completely honest with you, was getting my crap together as a husband. You know, one, I mean, I come from a, a pretty rough, a pretty crazy background. <laughs> we won't go there, but you know, I mean, seriously, I, I've almost ruined my life several times, and uh, I wasn't always the husband I should have been with my wife. And my my life would never go quite the way I want it to. And you know, for a long time, I could never figure out why I was working hard, doing everything right, except focusing on me as a husband. And, and I was still young at this time, and I'm, you know, I still fought today. But I'm talking about consciously chasing that. Um, and once I started focusing on that, the woman that my wife is started building me up as I wanted to do these crazy ideas, these ideas that everybody told me, like, that's not going to work. That's not, she just would tell me like, you can do it. If anyone can do it, you can do it. We just need to do it together. And so that, that built me up to be able to make the decision that I have to do TNT, you know, and then becoming a better husband obviously made me mature more. And since I matured more, I've been able to be a good dad. Uh, people ask me a lot, like, you know, how, how is it running TNT and then operating with your kids? Are you having to give up a lot of time? And, and I'm not now I'm having to run myself ragged right now, but I, I mean, the one thing I'm not doing is sacrificing family time. Uh, so I wake up early. There's a way to mitigate that. I wake up ridiculously early uh, you know, and, and, and we'll code for several hours. And then like right now I'm working three days a week for a customer locally. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll code early morning, drive to their site, work for them, come home, be dad till my kids pass out. My wife runs a business too. A lot of people don't know that she'll start doing her business. I'll go back to doing mine and we operate like that, you know, and the three days I'm not working on them, I just wake up early and go my weekends. I wake up early and I code or do it, do admin stuff, whatever. And so just it really all ties back to that first commitment of when it was like, OK, it's time to like really focus on being a good. It all ties back to that mentality and getting that mentality down has allowed my wife to show me like who she is, which has allowed me to grow tremendously. So that, that's just that's been my greatest achievement, honestly. And I really appreciate, you know, Caleb, you opening up in that way. I think that there's very little conversations, I would say obviously not in your specific case, but in the general sense of systems integration of what it truly takes. And I would say like the strain that it can have on, again, I would say like physical, obviously the travel, but psychological as well, you know, always traveling to these sites and having these, I would say very extended schedules. And it takes, uh, I would say a toll on the, on the relationship. So really appreciate you opening up in that way. I think that's, again, it, it's very important to kind of knowing when to take a step back maybe from the job and not everyone's able to do it at the, at the right time. Right. Absolutely. I, and you I, know, I, it's, it's proven if, if your family's not right at home, mm -hmm. you're not going to be right on the job side. So you can't expect to operate a hundred percent when your mind's somewhere else, you know, you got to have that balance. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I agree with Vlad. I think that that that's an amazing point, Caleb. It's, it's probably not something any of us talk enough about. Um, especially, I see especially people in generations, you know, to the point of nearly getting ready to retire. And many of them are on their second or third marriage or second or third divorce. And there are lots of struggles at home. And many people whom you might perceive as very successful in business have a very fractured or broken home life. And it is many times families that take the brunt for the insanity of, of the work that we do. 
And I, I absolutely agree that it is important to focus at least as much on things that are not the work and not the coding and, and not the business aspect of things if you want to have a, a whole life and the, the concept of work-life balance. I, I, I know some people who have talked about the work-life excellence. So Jim Gavigan, one of our early episodes, talks about work-life excellence. Um, and I love that. And I hope I get there one day. At this point, it's more like work-life insanity. And sometimes <laughs> you get to sleep, right? Like, uh, like, like, like sometimes you get to sleep until six o'clock in the morning uh, before you go and then go to customer site as opposed to uh, waking up earlier to, uh, to do other things. But no, I think that that is, uh, that's a great question. And that's, that's a topic that we will absolutely have to explore more uh, at, at, at some point. I think, I think that is something that we need to talk about more. Um, but to take a slight shift in that direction, we're, we're talking about machine modernization. We're talking about retrofits. Um, you see a lot of interesting things. I, I guess the best way to kick it off is, you know, we're having some supply chain issues, right? Like not just I show up to Lex, Texas, and they don't have parts and the nearest parts store is two hours away, but we're having some supply chain issues. It's hard to get stuff. So what are you seeing on site? Are we bubblegum patching more things together? Uh, what, what are you seeing in the field? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's, that's kind of a, a double-sided question because in oil, and a lot of people know, a lot of what I do is oil and gas. Now I've branched out mm -hmm. tremendously outside of it, but let's just focus on that piece for a yep. second. <laughs> There's bubblegum patching, which is a nice way to put that, regardless of supply chain issues out there. I mean, seriously, dude, it is. It's a crazy phenomena that none of us are really talking about enough. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, a lot, you know, it's kind of a lot of what gets thrown at me is, is kind of like, Hey, nobody knows. A lot of what it is, is somebody buying something, somebody buying some assets, right. And the company they bought it from when they were going out or whatever the situation was, didn't keep up with their files. So when they buy it, they don't, they're, they're blind. They have no idea what they're up against, what they're facing uh, recently. I did a midstream application where I was supposed to go take a micro 1400 upgrade it to a compact logics, mm -hmm. like maybe a day, day and a half operation, no biggie. You know, I ended up out there for like four days, four and a half days straight. Uh, yeah. And it ended up turning into a complete panel rewire, uh, you know, a SCADA system overhaul, like the way their data structure was. And uh then they had a facility a facility that couldn't run until it was tied in too. So I ended up commission rewiring and commissioning that new side of their facility as well, which was obviously completely out of scope, which is no big deal. You know I mean? I, it was great work. And it, we were talking about this before the camera came on, but it was one of those, you drive away and you feel like the wizard that just slayed a dragon on a mountain in the middle of nowhere where no one saw it. So yeah. I'll just be driving away my truck hollering all by myself, beating on my chest, hollering, you know, knowing we just pulled it off. I swear. I, I love those jobs. So, but yeah, I mean, we see that a lot. Um, Caleb, I have I a follow-up question. Uh, so, sorry to interrupt the, the train of thought. No, no, I, no. So I had some conversations uh, about oil and gas. I certainly don't come with uh, knowing that background really well. So when you say, you know, companies are buying others out is it are they buying oil rigs are they buying you know processing facilities what does that like what does that look like and then they're trying to retrofit the control system so that they can tie it into their i would say like bigger plants or 
Yeah, or, or their existing schedule. So a lot of it will be like a bigger producer or a, a new producer. Maybe somebody didn't make it or somebody's trying to yep. downscale a little bit. So they're selling off their field assets. When I say field assets, that could be like lacked units, lease and custody transfer units. You know, that's your cash mm -hmm. register on site, uh, your production facilities, your tank batteries with your heater treaters, your yep. separator, your wellheads, pump jacks, all that stuff. Um, and, and they'll take over this stuff to grow into theirs. But then what happens? Well, they need to bring all that data in to their system, right? And they need to get their control. Mm -hmm. um, and as we all know, on paper, sure, it looks great, but it, it never goes as it's going to go on paper. Um, I'll tell you one of the biggest pains in my butt right now in oil and gas applications is, I, and I love micro 1400s. I, I do. I, they're great processors. I don't care what nobody says about them, but there's a million of them out there where the company purchasing doesn't have the original code or doesn't know who originally did it. And I wow. show up on site and pull naked logic. And then I immediately get out and start tracing out the inputs and outputs and mm -hmm. seeing what we're connected to, you know, or tracing their SCADA system, their HMI screen, I'm pairing data and, and I'm literally piecing together puzzles that that happens a lot, dude. I mean, a lot, you know, and they want to upgrade. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard to convince them that like literally it would be faster for me to write this from scratch from you for you yep. and implement something new that we can get our hands on versus tracing all this out. Um, and then sometimes I get overridden. They want me to trace it out. And that's what I do, mm -hmm. you know, but I try to be very blunt, very honest uh, with my customers, you know, just up front about I think I think a lot of companies right now don't have all the people smaller companies don't have the people in line to really know what battles they're up against when they're acquiring these they yep. buy them and you know they're like oh okay we can get someone out here to put a plc on it no biggie you know, they don't know what they're up against so uh i was gonna say if i may add to that so i worked uh, i worked with a company that would do like biodiesel uh, style facilities. And we used yeah. to joke that they would buy stuff from the industrial scratch and dent store, uh, which is basically they would go to an old Exxon or Shell decommission facility. And like we, they, they literally saws all out control panels and VFDs. And so they'd have piles of these things and you'd need one and you'd go through 10 and most of the time, none of them worked properly. So you're going and ripping apart pieces to see what's wrong. And it was, it was always a, a lot of labor, right? So it, it's a, now the company that I was working with, like they fully realized this and they committed to the labor as opposed to the cost of new parts. But, uh, but to Caleb's point, if you, if you think you're going to go sawzall out a panel and then, or anything, and you're going to be able to take the PLC and drop it in and generally not have issues, uh, you are, maybe not the most realistic uh, with yourself. And it just, it, it's a lot of retrofit. It's a lot of, it, it's a lot of basically every other issue that you may not perceive if you go buy, you know, boxed new parts. And, and in, in my opinion, I think one of the contributing factors to this that, that really weighs heavy on the subject is people simply just, they just don't know. Uh, oh, yeah. And what I mean, for example, I had a customer one time that was, he was kind of getting on me about like, dude, why is this taking so long to implement these changes on the HMI? And these were some some crazy changes, right? And I, they were doable. It just was going to be tedious and time consuming. So anyways, I told him, you know, hey, I'm doing the best I can. Well, a few days later, I was working on it remotely on his PC and mm -hmm. didn't know that he had been sitting there for like maybe 40 minutes or so watching what yeah. I was doing. So he calls me and he's like, 
what are you doing? And I was like, well, let me step you through this. So I kind of showed him each part. And he was like, how does that? And I, so I was like, yeah, that's how we have. That's this is what I have to do in order to make your simple change work. Nope. Because, yes, it's simple in theory on paper, but to make nope. it work. There's nothing simple. I mean, it's simple, but it's very tedious. Yep. And so after I think people really don't realize if they've never been in an HMI software or a PLC and they don't realize that sometimes what they're asked really consists of. And that's OK. Yep. That's why I always like when people try to tell me what they want. I just always ask for permission to just speak candidly like, hey, mm-hmm. out of respect for you, can I break this down to you? What this means so that we are on the same page about what it's going to take to get it done realistically, if that yep. makes sense. Yep. Caleb, I had a follow-up question to the, I, I would say, like, oil and gas industry. So you mentioned, you know, the Micrologix 1400 series, but I've heard also that there's a lot of various platforms in these oil rigs, right? And so I've heard about Wagos, Optos, PLC Next, all, all kinds of, like, different equipment. Are you seeing that as well? Do you see it standardized more on Allen Bradley, Siemens, like, what are your, your yeah. thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I would say I, now I have seen that like on the drilling rigs seem to be pretty hot on Wago systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great system, so I don't blame them. I don't know how that got started, but that is a trend uh, that I've seen. I, I, there's a lot of a lot of Rockwell stuff out there. I see lots of compact and control logics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one thing that kind of struck me as weird is, like I said, I came up in this on the Siemens side. So, like, I knew S7-1200s up and down, like, the back of my hand as far as, like, what I'm doing with them and, and TP-900 comfort panels. And then the more I start asking people, like, why don't y'all use Siemens, you know, instead of doing this or that? They're like, well, because there's nobody around to work on them. And I'm like, holy mm-hmm. crap. You know, what? What are you talking about? You know? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people really don't buy a Siemens product just because they don't know that, you know, it's just so common to work on Rockwell. It's, it's what they can get. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of total flows. Do you, are y'all familiar with what a total flow is? I'm not. It, it's, it's, a, it's a flow computer made by ABB, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're pretty intelligent. You can do a lot with them. Now they've come out with this new version that's very nice. And it, it kind of bridges the gap between PLC and flow computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen some people use those for an entire facility. Nope. Um, you know, RTU setups, uh, there, there's all kind of stuff. But PLC Next, no, I haven't seen any of that. I'm actually uh, in the process of writing my first PLC Next oil and gas application. It'll be coming up in the next few weeks. I'm I'm doing it paired up with some ODOT.io, and uh, that'll be my first one I've instantiated. But lots of Rockwell, you know, your typical typical stuff yeah it's interesting i guess like it comes back to dave's question on uh, supply chain and again like i said i haven't seen these uh like oil rigs myself in person but i've been told Mm -hmm. that again it's it's a mix and match of various uh systems so i kind of wanted to get your thought on that dave i I was gonna say vlad i was gonna say vlad there are lots of flights in the midland like you think it's in the middle of nowhere but there are more flights in and out of midland every day than than you would imagine uh yeah, and I really like the I, I like the plant process side of that too. I mean, um, I think that's what attracts me about oil and gas. Not not I like doing tank batteries and stuff. I do lots of them, but I, you know, I, everybody knows I like doing PID loops. I love to tune loops. I like running into them. Um, I've always found like cryo plants, gas processing facilities. I mean, I only have you know barely 
two years in one solidly, right? You know, I don't have a whole lot, but I've, I've done a lot with them in that one and a half to two year span has been a tremendous amount of exposure. And I, I just really love that process. I like, I like all of it. it it's, it's addicting. Uh, you know, it, it's very complex. It, it people, I think people don't really realize like what running a plant like that really consists of, you know, and the extreme amount of precise you have to be because of what you're dealing with, especially when H2S is involved. Uh, man, you know, it's, it's, it's neat. But, uh, you know, and I really I'm, I'm doing a grass seed facility right now that kind of has the same principles, totally different setup, mm-hmm. same principles, you know, flow rates, you know, all that. Stuff, but with grass seed instead of oil, you know, I, I just like process in general. I enjoy anything processed. Yeah, we have a question in the chat that I think is uh, we've somewhat answered maybe at the beginning, but still want to get your take on maybe the transition, <laughs> you know, from someone who's working as an electrical technician and getting more into uh, I would say programming work. So Oscar wrote, how long have you been in automation? What helped you advance in the profession? Uh, what actions have you done to be where you're at? And he's also asking, is having a setup like Vlad's at home vital to advance? So maybe getting your your thoughts on that. Okay, well, I hope this doesn't kill my my customer, <laughs> ba- customer, customer base here. But, you know, the ones I do work for, no. So yeah. I'm sure I'll, I'll be able to keep working. But, I, dude, I've really been only been in this game for a total of about, you know, five years or so. I mean, seriously. Now, the exposure I've, I've been able to expose myself to in that amount of time is – Josh always tells me, like, don't worry about the time frame. It's what you did in those five years that, that yeah. counts, you know. And I, I feel like that kind of credits. Um, man, the best I, advice I can give you is – to just stop reading what you need to do to do it. What I mean by that is at one point in time, I had myself convinced I needed to go back to school and become an engineer instead of starting TNT um, until I can, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being an engineer. I'm not saying that, but it didn't make sense for me to stop at my journey where I was at Mm -hmm. to go back to school for four years, you know, the remainder of the years. And then it just, Dude, it's about how bad you want it. So, for example, I expose myself to things in the field when I, dude, I run into stuff I've never worked with all the time to this day. Did it yesterday. And and it's all about being resourceful when you, you know, do it yourself. Don't back down. Don't give up. You know, as long as you got things lined out and you have the opportunity to try it, you need to try it. I, I think a lot of people's problem is they ask for help before they actually try to do it. Um, and, and some good advice I could give you is think for yourself in this space. And I, and I I don't mean for that to come off rudely, but what I mean for that is so many times I think we get caught up in like, I feel like I'm like, I know this is right, but you know, somebody's saying that this isn't right. Or somebody's saying you can't do it because of this, or you can't do it. Like screw that. If you know, it's right, it's right. It's right. Do it. Or if you, if you, if it's not right, just always own up to your mistakes. So is your things useful? I'm sure it is. I'm sure there's things you can test on that. And I have some PLCs at home, you know, that I plan on setting up just to screw around a little bit. But I would say for me personally, the most useful thing is at your job right now, if you're not trying to get your hands on opportunities that are there, you need to put your focus on that. Um, One thing that always drove me nuts is like the whole, that's not my job mentality. Like, uh, I'm going to hurt some feelings here, but like I've run into electricians and other automation technicians. It's like, no, I'm not going to wire that up. That's not my job. Or, oh, I don't, I'm not going to do that. That's not my job. But like the customer sites on the line, production's on the line here and we can do it, 
but it's not your job. I, I would always just jump right in and do it, man. Even when I was in automation tech, I was working for a company and there was a hard line in the sand between the electricians and the, uh, the automation techs. And I'll never forget one time they were pulling these long runs of Rita cable, right? And uh, our skid steer had gone down. So literally we got to the point, there's like 15 grown men pulling this thing on a jet line, you know, down a 90, up a 90, and all the way across this well pad. And those who have done this know the extreme of what I'm talking about, but it was an opportunity. And so because I did that with them, when they would do more electrical hookups, they'd get me involved and I learned parts of electrical. And so I just kind of applied that same principle everywhere I went. And I found that when the opportunities presented themselves, if I jumped on them, I always came out with something I didn't have before. So, you know, dude, just take what's in front of you. If you're not happy where you're at, you know, dude, I YouTube a lot. Start watching real pars. I cannot stress how important real pars videos are. Solace PLC, uh, my boy Hegemurl on YouTube. If you want to learn Tia Portal, you need to go look up Hegemurl right now on YouTube and it'll change your, you know, stuff like that, man. I just did it all on my own. Like I said, when I was driving to these sites, I had two or three hour drives. That's what I was doing, listening. Uh, I spent my free time not listening to music, not being in thoughtlessness. If I was on location eating lunch, you know, I wasn't sitting there on social media screwing off. I'd eat and then take my break and then be learning something, you know, listening to something. So, man, if you want it, I, I, I'd say uh, with 100% because it applies to my situation. Like the barriers people put on you don't make a crap. It don't matter because I promise you I'm a prime example of someone who should not be where they're at and did it anyways. I'm serious, you know, and that's, that's really all it takes. You have got to believe in yourself and uh, always be brutally honest, you know, never feel afraid to, if, if you're trying something out and you're not quite sure, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and tell whoever like, Hey, I'm not quite sure, but this is what I was thinking, you know, and then uh, find out like, Hey, this is, this was my thought process for what I wanted to try. Is this right or wrong? And then you'll learn. Um, and don't be afraid to screw up, man. I blew up. I'm not going to give too many details because I don't want to hurt myself here, but I blew <laughs> up pressure transmitters one time, literally yeah. blew them up, you know? Uh, so that's how I screwed up. Uh, I mean, I think that's an investment in you, if anything, right? Like they've mm -hmm. already invested that money. So they know you're not going to blow them up next time. That's how no. I look at yeah, it. That's right. <laughs> that's yes. right. And the, and the important part was like, as soon as it happened, like I just picked up the phone and called and said, Hey, I effed up really bad. Here's what I did. Like, yeah. dude, you, if you're at work right now, you got to have that kind of uh, realness with yourself and with the people you work around, because you got to remember a lot of the stuff we work around is dangerous environments. Um, and you obviously don't want to be the reason anybody gets hurt or yourself. You know, we all want to go home at the end of the day. No, absolutely. I would say, you know, to that like last point, I think it's being comfortable enough that mistakes will happen. And as you said, like yeah. being resourceful enough to figure out what to do when they happen. Right. Because at mm -hmm. one point in time, I think everybody gets gets in a bind. I think a lot of uh, I would say like newer folks get stuck on the idea that everything needs to be perfect be before it ships. Yeah. Right. And so you get stuck in this thought process where I'm not going to touch the code inside of our facility because I'm going to perhaps stop something. And again, that's going to cost X amount of dollars to the facility, which obviously you should be careful, but at the same time, there's always risk and you cannot learn without taking certain risks at one point in time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that feeling ever goes away. I think like you're always, you know, concerned every time you do a startup and 
we'll get into startups in just a moment. But when you do startups, yeah. when you do any modifications, when you do retrofits, I don't think I've been in a retrofit where, you know, my code was put in, we just turn on the switch from off to on and it just ran. Like, I don't think, like, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. And if, if there's anyone out there, I would, I would love to have a conversation, but. Yeah, my key phrase on that is literally nothing goes as planned. That's how I approach every job I go on. And, and, and doing that, I'm never let down. You know, I, I never I expect the, 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 the crap show and, and I'm, I, I get off and, you know, I mean, really, it just it's just our environment. Dave said this before the camera was on. It was a good point. It was you're you're either made to do the work or you're not. Um, and it just depends. I think it all goes back to a passion. Cause like, I think everybody that's in this game deeply and has done some of the projects like we all work on, it all starts from here, right? I mean, I'm just obsessed with, with define the barriers, you know? I mean, yeah. seriously, I can't tell you how many people like told me like, you don't want to start your own business. You know, you, you've got a good job. You, you got a retirement. You'd be a fool to throw that away. You know, just putting their own expectations or on you, you know, or whatever, just, screw all that you know i was going to get it with or without them so uh in the same after uh, the same way with these projects yeah Absolutely. no i would agree and again i think like we all to some degree love that environment where there's a lot of chaos right and like i said like i think we had a conversation a little bit earlier but you have to be almost comfortable with that and if you want to progress you're going to be making mistakes right and at one cost or another and again to maybe go go back to oscar's point like number one, I always tell people all you need to learn, let's say PLC, HMI programming, you can do all of that for absolutely free. You don't need any equipment. I think it's really right. up to you. There's ton, like you mentioned resources. Tim Wilborn is also in the chat if you want to learn Rockwell. There's so much information. And I think the importance is also to, again, like take risks and to some degree push your employer to put you in front of those opportunities. I think you would probably agree with me, Caleb, on this, but you know, your bosses have taken a risk and kind of put you in the right position so that you could be almost like uncomfortable at a certain point, but they saw that through that uncomfortable time, you would learn and grow and be able to do those tasks much more efficiently, right? Absolutely. But uh, no, I, I think it's a, it's an excellent conversation. Again, I, I tell this to everyone, like when I started, I didn't know what a PLC was, so I was able to and on job programming PLCs before ever seeing one. So I would not set a barrier on yourself to have to have everything yeah. figured out. There's a lot of, again, like opportunities. I think the automation market is really hot right now. There's a lot of facilities trying to automate their processes. So there's plenty of uh, opportunities and I would say good companies to, uh, to work for. Yeah, and, no. and, and one last one last touch to that too to, to put this into his question because I feel like this is pretty critical. Um, you know, also, yeah, learn your PLC, emphasize on that. But if you're wanting to learn PLC, say you already have a day job around PLCs, and that's why, you're, like he said, if you're going from an instrument tech, learn what you're what you're doing right now on the jobs you're at. Learn the process of the facilities you're in because I don't think this gets talked about enough. But there's a lot of programmers right out there that are good programmers you put them in the field dude they wouldn't know what to do with the process like understand what the things you're working on do and really get the true meaning behind them because if you understand the process in your brain you come up with your own way of how you want this to work now there's good practices and all that stuff you pick up along the line but 
I think the hardest thing for people who want to learn PLCs is they, they get the software downloaded. They might even go out and get them a Raspberry Pi, get code assist. They're ready to go. They're all, they're all fired up. Or this is what happened to me. I get on it. And then I realize like, I don't even have a task to accomplish, like a realistic one. Like sure I could yeah. turn on a light or something. Yeah, do that. Turn on your lights. But like, I always wanted a realistic, something that was close to what I was doing in the field. So I, I would learn that and then make those situations up in my code. And that's, you know, Learn the process, man. You can't be a good commissioning programmer if you don't even understand what it is you're trying to program for. You know, and I think that gets left out a lot. And and I would say to that point, there are very few people at any facility that actually understand the process. There are lots of people who may understand little parts of the process, sure. but there are very few people who understand the process as a whole. And if you can be the person to put that together and understand the process, then you're nearly invaluable because you can do so many more things than just answer PLC questions or startup or commissioning questions. Uh, So I'm excited to continue this. We have some people to thank. So Vlad's going to play the sound that we can't hear on this end, Caleb. And we're going to thank some people. Okay. There we go. Good. Awesome. So we want to thank uh, Preston and Envision Automation and Controls uh, for sponsoring the machine modernization theme. I'm going to give one more shout out for the Change Life giveaway, which is in the chat. Uh, in this, in the next month, between April and May, they're giving away an AB uh, Micro 850 PLC and a PanelView 800 uh, HMI. It comes with the uh, Rockwell CCW software as well, which is a great opportunity if you're look if you're looking uh, to get into uh, looking to get into well, all the stuff that we're talking about. Uh, so slow quotes, yeah. slow quotes, no documentation, horrible communication, and shoddy support. Does this sound like your current systems integrator or retrofit <laughs> vendor? It, it's good. It's good, Caleb. You're gonna you're gonna appreciate this. Everyone should. But look no further than Envision Automation and Controls. Um, Envision addresses these problems as they provide accurate quotes in record time, like one to three days for, for most of your small projects, as well as world-class documentation and support. Uh, you can expect quality in everything they do from discovery to delivery. Ray says, Envision hit the ground running on our first project together. The rapid quotes, documentation, and clear communication are what make it easy for me to keep choosing an Envision automation and controls. Uh, so you guys can check them out at Envision, envisions.io, Envision with an S at the end. Uh, for more information or to get a rapid quote, You can email sales at envisions.io or give them a call at 812-618-5089. And again, I feel like it's a little dangerous that we're giving this uh, this phone number out, Preston, Uh, but but you wrote it in there, so we're going to do it. Uh, Their mission is to bring automation and controls to the future into the present, one solution at a time. Their motto, you envision it, we build it. Um, I will make a Dave note that Preston and the group are generally located in uh, in the Evansville, so in the Indy. Indianapolis area. I know they do work down to like Kentucky and up uh, through Michigan and kind of the, the general surrounding. I don't think that there is a place too near or too far, but if you are in those areas, we absolutely uh, suggest uh, you reach out. And then if you didn't catch us talking to Preston, it was a really good conversation last week on episode 56 and Preston has been on a couple of times before. But again, we want to thank Preston and Vision for sponsoring this theme, for doing the Change of Life giveaway, and generally for being amazing into, uh, into the community. Uh, but no, so I wanna, I wanna talk about, uh, I wanna talk more about this, Caleb. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about oil and gas, we talked about some other clients, we talked a lot of flow. 
what are you seeing in maybe non-oil and gas? Are you seeing lots of new machinery? Are you seeing the need for retrofits? Are, are you getting lots of non-oil and gas phone calls saying, we're broken, Caleb, please come fix it? Yeah, uh, that's where all my PID <laughs> loop tunings have come in lately, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, I've been at a biodiesel facility up in up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, the past year, several places, like which is kind of close to the same. But, yeah. you know, I, I went and tuned their valves for – their valve had been untuned for months or something like that. And we went up there for, I think, like a day and a half and got them going. And what they were doing was heating up the beef fat and the, the soybeans and bringing it in. They're making that. Um, I'm doing a grass seed facility right now that – and I really can't say much, but, like, we're doing some really cool stuff on that. I came in at the end of that last year. The customer was in a bind. I'm working with some great guys on that project, but they really had a mess on their hands. And uh, we've all been grinding on that and, and done some crazy stuff. And I think the customer's trust has gone through the roof because of that phase. And so now that we're going into phase two, he's letting us stretch our imaginations a little bit here. You know, like and, uh, um, you know, the company X that I talked about a while ago, I actually went for their startup and, um, like I said, man, that, that job was like 1400 drives. You know, there were 60 main control panels, a hundred control panels, like a hundred PLCs, probably all in this four story building. Um, wow. We were doing so much during startup on that. I actually completed my first two half marathons doing <laughs> startup networking troubleshooting. I mean, seriously, we, we were putting in half marathons walking through this facility each day. Um, and I was up there for 10 weeks straight, just about. Um, and there were some crazy, that was actually my first exposure to like Docker containers. Mm -hmm. We were deploying Docker containers in the field and using them to, to test with the PLCs and simulate different situations. And I wish I could say more, mm -hmm. but dude, that, that whole experience and some of the stuff I saw in there was just truly mind blowing. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know I've been in manufacturing and it's cause I can't really post about it at the time, but eventually one day I'll be able to post some of this, but that was my first time exposure to like heavy, heavy robotic mm -hmm. exposures and, and just all this sorters and craziness and vision systems. And I mean, oh dude, I, I was staying late every day to help out just to be in it and, and soak mm -hmm. up as much as I could. I, I was I was one of the first I was a handful of people in the world at the time that had uh, their hands on one of the new PNF sensors, vision system sensors. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure that'll be coming out to the public later on or if it already is. But that was cool to be able to say that, you know, just get exposed to all that. And, uh, man, yeah, it, we're, we're seeing some crazy. I think the more that cybersecurity gets pushed, which is a good thing, like it's kind of mind blowing how much people don't really weigh in on that side or like remote connectivity. There's still mm -hmm. so many people out there that have people driving out all the way out to location to help them out, you know, and now we have all these great remote access tools and, and safe ways to do it. And people are starting to pick up on all that, you know, but uh, <clears throat> there is also a lot of hype too. I say I've learned that. I think that I've, I've noticed that I've been able to filter between the hype from manufacturers and what's really going on. And I'm not going to say names, you know, or call people. I don't do that type of stuff, but I've been, I've, I've even been disappointed through some of this because some of some things I thought I would represent, put my name on, didn't play out, you know? And I think what it is is people try to follow trends too quickly and, 
they don't have enough field experience with it. And they, if they, if you can't support your own product, then how can you expect me to integrate it? You know, so I, I've learned a lot of sharp lessons doing that too. And luckily didn't never learned it on a customer side or anything, but just trying to get the wheels going kind of, kind of disappointed me a little bit, some of the newer technology. So hopefully those will advance and get where they need to be as time goes on. But. Caleb, I'm very curious, you know, I'm not going to ask you for the details on the Docker containers, but I'm sure like that's an interesting application. But I wanted to maybe step step back for just a moment. So TNT, what do you guys, Mm -hmm. so do you guys do integration for all kinds of different software? Is there like a focus that you're only doing PLCs? You mentioned robotics, you mentioned vision systems. Do you do like pretty much everything? Do you also do panel builds, like what's the, maybe like the scope of the company right now and what's your like maybe vision also? Are you looking to stay more on the software side? Or are you going to do like some hardware specifications as well? Because I think, you know, maybe there's some questions around uh, what is it that you guys provide at this time? Yeah, yeah. So I, as the, in the past, I've had my hands on just whatever, anything mm-hmm. come my way. And, and I still have that approach to this day. If it comes my way, I'll jump on it. You know, I have my hands in a lot of stuff right now. But as I've kind of honed this more, yeah, like my my main primary focus would be anything PLC HMI skater related or or I'm the guy they call when SHTF, when stuff hits the fan, right? (laughs) Getting facilities going. I really enjoy being that guy that shows up when it's a total crap show and and plugging in the PLC, getting my meter out and then letting it rip. You know what? That seems to be my 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 key skill here is is core troubleshooting on process is what I focus on. I write lots of programs from scratch. I do lots of troubleshooting on older programs, you know, and lots of time without documentation, lots of times without tagging, without an engineer on board that can tell me exactly what their architecture is. Lots of these jobs I end up on, I'm just going in blind. So if if you're having problems where you need help and, and you need someone to walk in blind, you know, uh, I got you. That's kind of I do a lot of that. But yeah, um, now I have people that I'd say if I if I dabble in some robotic stuff, yeah. But if if you were to call me today and you had an extremely complex robotics project, I'm not stupid either. Uh, you know, if you have an extremely, I have some serious network troubleshooting skills after project X working for trace route. Of course, you're going to pick up some insane network troubleshooting skills, but I also know my limits. Like I'm not going to waste time on customer site trying to do something that I'm going to have to learn to do right there. I have an incredible network. One thing I can say for TNT is I have access to what I believe in. And I would say data kind of proves this to some of the best professionals working in this industry. Um, And I've been kind of able to gain their respect over the past year and a half by doing projects in parallel with them, showing them when I'm working on, you know, showing them my grit, what I can do. And because of that, now I have them on board to to use their tools as well. And, man, that kind of makes it dangerous because, you know, at this point, if you call me and have an issue, uh, we can pretty much get you lined out, you know, whatever it is. No, I appreciate that. And I appreciate, uh, yeah. you know, like the, the honesty as well, because I think there's so many and people often forget, you know, that an automation engineer is almost like a, a software, a hardware. A, again, and even if you pick up the softwares individually, I think being a robotics programmer is almost, you know, like miles away from like a PLC programmer because of how Absolutely. much of a difference there is. And I think, you know, there might be changes that will kind of 
mitigate that, but it's not uh, it's not here yet. So it's you know you have to know the process, as Dave has mentioned. You need to know the mechanical side. So there's there's a lot of knowledge that go, goes into this. And again, I think again, and this is an opinion, you can be a very successful automation engineer if you know even like a very narrow branch of uh, mm. automation. You could be someone who focuses entirely on motion control, right? For the next like 30 years. And there's a lot of demand for like that specific skill set. Or you could be Absolutely. someone who knows a lot of different platforms and knows how they all kind of come together. So there's no, I would say like right or wrong answer. I was just, you know, like curious to get to know more sure. about. Uh, yeah. And I like something you just said there. I should have touched on this a second ago. I think one thing that's been a big, uh, project winner for me that, that, that I've been able to grasp and take a hold of some of these opportunities is is being very fluent across multiple platforms. Well, what do I mean by that? If you got a Rockwell PLC, a Siemens PLC, a Schneider PLC, a Codasys PLC, ABB, it don't matter. Uh, even if I haven't, and this, this has happened recently, like I haven't been on the software. Sure, I'll take my take my little bit of time to get through navigation, but I'm resourceful. Like I'll, I'll tear a help file up in a Google search you know, and, and find out what I need to find out quickly or call tech support. Like it's all about being resourceful. We just touched on this, but I think that's been my key is it doesn't matter to me what you got. Uh, and I just ran into a tile FX the other day, never seen one of those in my life. Uh, and, and ended up just doing that, Googling it starts there, get the software, get tech support to send over. And now we're pulling code up and troubleshooting and figuring out how the network works. Um, but for me, um, I think when I say PLC programmer, I do have to divide this out a little bit. When I say I'm the PLC guy, what that really means is I've written the HMI code and the PLC code. In most cases, I've installed the instrumentation and ran the wire myself. Now, some of these bigger jobs, they have con other contractors do it. But a lot of times, like when I think PLC, I should be more specific because on the bigger jobs I have been on, there's been some killer PLC programmers. But if they get a voltmeter in their hand and something's going wrong, it's useless. So I think maybe that could be, you know, something people need to focus on a little bit more. That's one thing that's carried me a long way because it doesn't really matter. If it's your instrumentation or your HMI or your PLC, it's all in this OT network. I, I'd do it all, you know, 100%. Dave, what are your thoughts? I love this. Like, I love this. I think generally I agree with everything Caleb is saying. I think that there are absolutely opportunities. We've had conversations about people who are like multidisciplinary, right? Like PLC programming or HMI or SCADA programming is a skill, but there is a whole other set of skills that come to testing out physically, you know, everything, be it IO checkout or making things work or understanding the process. So I think it's super exciting. Uh, and generally, I think that we've had a bunch of really good information. Uh, so we actually have a question from Bevan uh, that I think moves towards kind of the next conversation of what do we think the future is going to be. Uh, but he is asking, what's your view, Caleb, on locking the code or trying to have authority ownership of your code once it's installed, assumably not giving access to the end user to be able to go change code? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've never done it. Um, anything, this is just me personally. I'm not saying it's right or wrong for the right situation. You're doing some top secret government work or something like that crazy. Sure, maybe there's a time and place for it. But from the locked user code I've seen, there was definitely not an excuse for it. And I think that's just kind of the 90s, early 2000s. 
ideology of like, oh, we've got a special skill that nobody really knows about yet. We're going to lock it down and make millions off. of. Well, I just, yeah. my theory is if I'm honest with the customer and I treat them well, they're going to keep doing business with me. So that's what I do. You know, I don't I would, hide nothing. Uh, yeah, I would say I, I would generally agree with that. I think Vlad and I generally agree with that. So I have seen a couple of OEMs that specifically lock their code down as to if there's actually intellectual property in that code, or if you can go through and figure it out. I know you can go through and figure it out because most of the time the issues that you run into, you have to go rip it off of one PLC and put it on another PLC because yeah. the PLC that they've programmed on isn't the standard of the facility. Um, and so all of those things are doable. I think to your point, Caleb, it's a very like nineties, early two thousands. I'm going to try to lock in the customer, but, uh, but, but I think it yeah. frustrates customers more than, more than anything else. Now, I, I do think, go ahead, I, I think there, oh, no, no, no. I think that, I think that there is a place I definitely would say for like people like OEMs that have, some, say you have something special, you're an OEM that's cutting technology. Yep. I, I could see where you wouldn't want that, not necessarily for a customer, but getting in the hands of the competition. I yep. think there's a place for maybe legal contracts between you and the customer during all that, but this is just an opinion on me. I'm not stating anything. I'm not saying what's the law. This is just my opinion. But if that's the case, I think personally, I've never been in a situation, Caleb Travis, where it didn't benefit me for my customer to really understand what they have going on. Because when they call me at two in the morning, I would rather them at least be able to look at the code and tell me, you know, somewhere around the mark what's going on versus saying like hey the program changed because dude i hear that all something in the program changed and i'm just like oh god here we go you know and the program didn't change let me log in whatever but um it's always benefited me for my customers to know what they've got going on because if we're troubleshooting something over the phone uh you know it helps me when they can tell me an educated sector of what they're actually looking at or you know, their production's better because they know how it really is supposed to work. And if they're paying that much money for it, dude, you know, I think they should have their, their stuff. Yeah. I was going to say again, like maybe there's some need for an NDA, right? Like you said, if the competition gets a hold of that piece of equipment or it's sold off to somebody else, like, sure, I could see how that, you know, could be an issue. But at the same time, I think, again, if you're in a maintenance team and you're trying to troubleshoot that piece of equipment, and you're not in the business, like most end users are not in the business or they're not going to shift their business to creating that machinery, right? A production facility is not going to go from one day to the next. We're going to stop operations. And because we've discovered this piece of code, we're now going to produce these machines. I don't think, I, I've never heard of that happening. So yeah. I just, I personally really despise, I would say, programmers who lock up their code for that reason. Because I think it's, yeah. as we talked about in the, networking side of things with the Dave, I see that as a challenge, you know, personally, can I crack into the code and figure out what it is? Ah, but also, ah, ah, you know, like, I, didn't I would say that, point, here. They like, that out. <laughs> I mean, they're locking up code. So but anyways, yeah. like what, what I would say also, I think, you know, if you're, I would say like an engineer who's trying to maybe play it safe and create an environment where you're locking down your job where you're required to service those machines, I would say that mm -hmm. an engineer who can almost work themselves out of a job by automating, you know, the processes so well is going to be worth 10 times more than what they currently are, right? Like that, and I think like that's something that people underestimate um, in the sense that, again, if you're 
trying to secure your job by password protecting the code and having to be called if you were to give a service so good that they can maintain the code and understand the code well they're going to call you back a lot more so that you could do their or figure out their other machinery yeah yeah and i can attest to that theory right there because dude i'm by far not the baddest man on a on the planet on with the PS. I know that there, there's some killers out there like Matt Pollison and you guys, they're just some of these guys that don't even, aren't even well known and just are killers, you know? Um, but I can say I get repeat business all the time. And a lot of my customers like tell me like, dude, you, you got it. You're the best. I don't want to, and I'm like, dude, I'm not the best, but okay. You know, we have a good relationship and I'm glad yeah. you trust me that much. But the only thing that separates is I, I'm always honest with them. Like, I'm not going to tell them I know how to do something. I'll tell them like, Hey, I don't know this, but I will figure it out. You know, just being up front with you. I think being up front and doing what you say you're going to do and always being very clear. Like you have to be transparent on these jobs, like what's in the scope and, and make sure you're on the same page because a lot of these jobs can get out of scope real quick. And I think mm -hmm. integrators just rack up the hours because like, Hey, the customer told me to do it. And with all the chaos going on, nobody's documenting what was originally the scope and what's not. Yes. And so then they end up with this huge bill and the, now the customer's pissed and they don't want to pay it. Right. But but technically, the programmers and the, the integrator did what they're supposed to. I think this can all this. Not I think this can be prevented. I know this because I'm doing it. And lots of other people are doing like be transparent with your customers. Don't be secrety super douche oh i just said that on the air sorry but ah, that came ah, out i'm, ah, I'm ah, sorry but ah. seriously like you know uh, just just stop you know this this ain't some secret sorcery code like this is something we're all doing you know you if you're that worried about like then go harder learn more if you're worried somebody's going to catch up to you you should be grinding 10 times harder to make sure they don't catch up to you and if you automate yourself out of a job that you probably are going to get bumped into a better job because now you've opened yourself to exposure and you can literally tell the next job if you could tell put it out there on linkedin the day of social media that you just automated this so well you automated yourself out of a job there's going to be people hitting you up left and right but where i think you you set your own cap is where you, like we talked about, you're locking people out of the code. You're trying to secure your job. All about perspective here because I'm thinking if you stay there forever, to me, you're not climbing. And I don't know about y'all, but like I want to constantly go up. So I, I think there's way better ways to do things. And I completely agree with both of you on that subject for sure. Absolutely. No, I think that that's great. And I think that that kind of completes the, what do you think the future is going to be, Caleb? And I think the future is going to be, you grow your skills, we all grow our skills and eventually automate ourselves out of jobs and then go find better jobs. And better for, jobs, for, me, right. for me personally, I am always excited about the new interesting opportunity, right? You, you go into chaos like we talked about and you help bring order into chaos. And then some, some people are really good at bringing order into chaos. Other people are really good at taking order and keeping order and a lot of the people I imagine listening to this and a lot of the people who, who like self-select of, I enjoy the chaos and I go spend time on customer sites because I yep. want to be in the chaos are going to be in that. I want to bring order to chaos and then I want to go find the next chaos to bring order to. Yeah. Now this is an actual statistical number for my life here. 95% of the jobs I've been on, which is, well, I want to say hundred percent, but that feels dangerous. Uh, <laughs> I've never had a customer like tell me like, Hey, I need you to come do this and this. And then I show up and it's actually that. Oh yeah. And you know, it, that that's, 
So if you're out there and you're an engineer or maybe you're just getting an integration, you're showing up to these jobs and you're fr you're freaking out because they told you, hey, you're just going to go do X, Y and Z. And you show up and it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. Dude, welcome to the club. Learn to get high on it, brother. Like it's the chaos you're talking about yeah. is so real. But those are the times you drive away beating on your chest, hollering in the truck by yourself like a maniac like me because you got the sucker working and you learn 10 times as much as you came in with. Uh, it's Absolutely. all about being resourceful. It's Absolutely. all about being resourceful. I, I would agree with that. Uh, kind of the next question is, as we are once again blowing well past the time that we said that we would uh, would aim for, which is exactly what I promised Caleb, is do you have any career advice maybe for people starting out or maybe for people looking to start a business themselves, like what you've done successfully with TNT? Yeah, man, I would start learning about finance right now. Um, if you're not good with your money, you're never going to be good in business. And I hate to say that. That's not rude. I'm just being blunt with whoever yep. is wanting to know. You need to be able to stack money up and do things with it before you ever worry about going out on your own. Um, and if you can do that, then you need to stack lots of it up and be prepared because I think the one thing nobody warned me about was like late paying customers. You know, I've had, <laughs> yeah. I've had, I've had, I mean, and that sounds stupid. Like I should have known, but I just wasn't something I thought about. I just lived in this magical world where you build and got paid on time. Cause up until I jumped all the way out on my own, that was my exposure. I build and got paid on time. Yep. And dude, if, if me and my wife hadn't have been good with money, we would have already sank in this venture. And that's the stuff you can't post on LinkedIn. That's the stuff that has me up at three in the morning. So stressed. I'm sweating and like literally can't sweep because my kids are beside me. And my wife's beside me and we're 75 days out, you know, on what was supposed to be a net 14 invoice or something. Yep. And I'm just clinching and praying every day that it comes in. So you've got to be able to handle stuff like that. As far as career advice goes, if you're not looking to get into business, I would just, man, I'm a problem solver, so I can only speak to people like me, but like, I can't do the same thing over and over. And ultimately, that's why I was saying like earlier, my plan experience, the company I worked for was phenomenal. I loved everything about it. It was a great company. It was cool. I still talk with the operators and the managers there all the time, you know, but for me, I was never going to be able to go to the same place every day and do the same thing too. And that's why when the opportunity to leap came up, I took it because I knew that like I was at the point where um, just working for somebody in general wasn't quite working for me. I just needed mm -hmm. to be able to do my, I needed the chaos. Like you said, like I love the chaos. I like being able to bounce and do this and that and just all over the place. Um, so use your resources, you know, um, Indeed's got stuff all the time. LinkedIn's got stuff all the time. Be looking, be sharpening your skills. And most important part is like, don't do something because it's hype. Like, I feel like some people think, find these hype subjects and then they want to convince themselves that they're into it because mm -hmm. it's hyped up and it's a big deal. But like, if your passion's truly not there and you're trying to force it, you're never going to make it. You know what I mean? Because you're not doing it out of passion. We, I do this. Like, dude, I troubleshoot my sleep. My wife gets on. Like, I have woken up out of bed, gone to bed the night before with a problem of mine, come up out like a dead zombie at two in the morning with the answer, got my truck, drove to site, and did it right then. Because, like, you know, I couldn't let it go. I had to know right then, was that going to work? If you can't have that kind of passion, it don't have to be controls. Whatever you're looking for you know, find something you're that passionate about or you're that interested in. Cause if you're that interested in it and it keeps you intrigued, you will become that passionate about it as you learn it and learning, 
you know, dude, I never knew that learning was so much fun because I hated reading books uh, until I like I hate help files. I use them all the time and I've gotten better at this. But um, but when I started learning with my hands and like that, that like the, the switch is going to like, oh, my God, like that's how that works. Holy crap. And then it really sets in that feeling of knowing, you know, you know it to the core. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and dude, I save my customers a lot from getting ripped off by other integrators and I've pissed some people off, but like knowing I know something to the core, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you rip my customer off. I'll tell them the yeah. truth all day long. You know, even if it, even if it cheats me out of more hours, cause I could have got, there's been a one job. We won't go into the details. I could have got way more hours on it mm-hmm. over something that wasn't necessary. And I just end up telling the customer like, Hey dude, this isn't necessary. And here's why. And there were some angry people, but guess what? It worked out great. He saved money and he's called me back and I've done more work for him since then. Um, so no. be passionate. Love what you do. That, that is great. Um, so typically this is the segment where we ask for book advice, but we know you are not a book person, Caleb, but I know that you, you've talked about some good content pieces, places that you like learning. You, you have talked about them before. Can, can you shout out the places that, uh, that, that you enjoy watching videos and listening to things? Yeah, yeah, I will give one book uh, shout okay. out actually, um, and it's Gary Pratt's Codices, Volume One and Volume Two. Um, if you don't know who Gary Pratt is and you haven't seen the object-oriented programming videos on YouTube, you need to go straight there and, and watch it. Um, yep. This sounds so stupid. I'm really going to show my butt here, but when I when I started out in this game and was programming Tia Portal, mm-hmm. I felt imposter syndrome. I felt like I was an imposter because I couldn't write extremely, extremely long, complex ladder logic, and I'd get frustrated trying to follow it all, but I could make a function block, nest it inside another function block, nest that, and then I'm doing that over and over again until, like, literally, I have a whole well pad as one function block, and I'm just dropping tags on the outside of the sucker, and if I have five wells, I've got an array of wells, and I'm bam, 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 bam. I thought that was redneck for the longest time. Like, I really was nervous to go. This sounds stupid, but I swear that, that was one of my holdups from starting TNT yeah. a little bit back in the day because I thought maybe I wasn't the real deal. Um, and then I heard Gary Pratt call that object-oriented programming, and it just – like, I knew I could make it work. That was never the issue. I just didn't want to get out into this space and, like, be called out for being an imposter. And then when I realized, like, it doesn't matter how you code – it matters like as long as you actually know what you're doing, like you, as long as you can accomplish what you're setting out to, it doesn't matter what language you write it in. And that's another advice, piece of advice I'd like to give out. Like don't function, don't focus on the language, do what you can do and accomplish it and make it reliable, you know? Um, and I, I had this whole life epiphany, like emotional deal going on when I realized I wasn't an imposter and it was going to be okay. My buddy James Joy was like, yeah, dude, you're the real deal. Like you've been doing these jobs. Why would you even think that? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. I guess I guess my programming wasn't redneck, but YouTube. YouTube is my number one. Uh, you know, Gary Pratt, the Codices videos, Hegemerl. Oh, that dude's a beast. Solace I really wish PS- he'd release more content. I know that he somewhat yeah. like switched, I think, in into gaming, but he had some really good content on uh, Tia Portal and like Siemens in general. And I think he's only one of the only people who had, I would say, like a lot of videos on Siemens specifically. Absolutely, yeah, and and like good practice with it, like not just some yes. like here's how you go online. Like he was doing stuff, but actually like showing you the right way to yep. do it. And I, I always like that. I watch all the solo stuff. You know, I keep up with you hardcore. Um, 
you know, just that. I have, who wrote it? Well, I can't find it now that I'm looking for it. I have a, the Structured Text IEC book okay. for Structured Text, and I can't remember yeah. who wrote it, but it's the new edition that just came out. Order that. Use it as a guide. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to read it like a book, but when you get stuck and you want to accomplish something, find what you're looking to do and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Udemy is a good one. You know, I, I think Udemy is a powerful deal. So I love that, and I will shout out. So we, at the beginning of the year, uh, had a couple of people call out Gary Pratt's new book, The Book of Codices, uh, mm-hmm. as well, uh, which is, I think, December, January, something. It was it was very recent, uh, certainly within the last year. We've had a couple of people uh, make comments that they also appreciate that. It, it's interesting to hear the number of people who are interested in codices and working on codices. Um you know, there are obviously other programming languages who the in which the majority of code currently is deployed, but uh, but but it is interesting to see the number of people talking about and excited about Codasys, and I think yeah, that that, yeah, yeah, I'd be willing to say it's the future for sure. I mean, I was on a PLC with Codasys, an ABB system on Codasys today. I'll be on an ABB system with Codasys tomorrow. Yep, and I love it, dude. No. I mean, you can really zip through that sucker and do some dangerous stuff. No, I I love it. This has been great, Caleb. Uh, One last question for you. Uh, Who should reach out to you? You know, who are you looking to help? Uh, Who who, do you want help from? Uh, Just in general, who should reach out to you? Customers, uh, people otherwise? Yeah, man. Just anybody that fits in what we talked about earlier. If it's panel work, PLC work, field instrumentation work, you know, I, I do all that. Um, and if, if I'm swamped and can't help you, I have a network of people that I really trust that are really good at what they do. Well, and we can find you help, Mm -hmm. you know, um, man, I'm open to everybody. I live in Texas, but I, I work all over the U S everybody. I'm going to Washington next month. I've been in California, you know, Utah, all over the place, man. So I really don't discriminate against that. It just, if I feel like the scope of work fits under what I do, I'll, I'll jump right on it. You know, I, I love a good challenge and I like all this crazy opportunities I'm getting exposed to. I'm, I, I really probably should grow the TNT team right now. Yeah. Um, but that's hard to do right now in this day and age. Cause like a lot of these projects, I couldn't just hand off to anybody. I mean, it's yeah. like the, my grassy facility, we just 95 drives, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I've spent hours of, of, of doing all the, there's seven PID loops, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can't just hand that off to anybody. Um, oh. And I've developed it all, com- you know, not the HMI, but the PLC completely from scratch. And I'll end up commissioning the whole thing, up, you know, by myself or with my customer up there. Um, so, you know. No, I, yeah. I love it. I think that the people who have listened, Caleb, if it's an immediate yes, you will certainly uh, hear from people who it's an immediate yes, that your, your message resonated, which, which I think is amazing. <laughs> But no, I, I want to thank you, Caleb, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, thank you to Envision for sponsoring uh, what is, me- I think every theme is our best theme yet. So I'm going to continue to say thank you for sponsoring the theme. It's been a great show. Uh, Tim Wilborn is coming on next week, uh, which should be another exciting conversation uh, to get him to come on to talk about this. If you have made it through the pod class, please do the things we're supposed to ask you to do. I remember about once a month to ask, so uh, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Audible and all those other fun places. Uh, Drop a like, 
uh, please feel free to join us uh, on manufacturinghub.live, which is where all of our episodes are at. We've got a list that if you want a once a week update on the live show coming out and the previous shows uh, from the network that have come out, you guys can go ahead and join that and either sign up for the Change Your Life giveaway or send it to someone whose life it could actually change. Um, until next week, we want to thank you all for being here and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Kayla. Yes, thank yeah. you, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you.